Hello and welcome to PFF Wire. I'm Doug Kide. Joined as always by Brad Spielberger. Brad, how are you doing on this Wednesday afternoon? Well, got a, you know, the trade deadline coming up now, almost less than two weeks away. Excuse me. So a uh, lot to talk about. Absolutely. We will get into that in a little bit. But first, let's start off with our first segment, Fresh Off the Wire. Uh, let's start off with Deshaun Jackson, officially signed to the Baltimore Ravens practice squad. You tweeted it out. I think it was either today or yesterday. Deshaun Jackson, he's been around for a long time, ever since 2008. He was originally drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, still kicking out there. And I mean, seems like with this Ravens wide receiver core, he could actually get a, an opportunity to play here. Yeah, they need a guy like this. We talked about it a little bit when it was rumored he was visiting, uh, you know, a, a true field stretcher in the entire PFF history. His 17.6 yards per reception um, is is just way at the top of the list. Third among all wide receivers. His average depth of target is 15.6 yards downfield, which is 15th. And then he's also, yeah, for a guy who is predicated on speed, he's played the second most snaps behind Larry Fitzgerald of all wide receivers, which is kind of crazy when you think about his skill set and guys like him usually, you know, burning out of the league much, much younger. So I think it's an important addition. Look, he's not going to be some guy that you're going to start in fantasy football or stuff like that, but the occasional downfield bomb to keep a defense honest is an element this offense really needs right now. Definitely, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they mix him in uh, with Rashad Bateman getting back healthy, Devin DuVernay, James Prochet. But, yeah, I mean, we've been saying for months now that the Ravens needed more help at wide receiver. We'll see what Deshaun Jackson can provide them and how quickly he can get acclimated and get up on that active roster on game day. Uh, let's talk about two players who have been designated to return off of injured reserve. One of them, Packers wide receiver Sammy Watkins. Packers could definitely use more help at wide receiver. Not sure how much they can depend on Sammy Watkins, given how many injuries he's dealt with throughout his NFL career, but still good to get a veteran back in the mix for the Packers. The other one is Panthers quarterback Sam Darnold, designated to return off of injured reserve. Uh, they've got 21 days to activate Sam Darnold for the Panthers, Sammy Watkins for the Packers. But Sam Darnold dealt with that high ankle sprain. Seems like he's now Getting closer to coming back, uh, P.J. Walker will start for the Panthers this week at quarterback. But once Darnold's back in there, once Baker Mayfield's healthy, there's going to be some questions to answer there for Steve Wilkes, the Panthers interim head coach, uh, at who's going to start quarterback. Yeah, I mean, if you want to lose a lot of football games, you have several great options for you, you know, who you want to start a quarterback. Um, I think to jump into the, the Packers situation, I, I found this shocking. Randall Cobb, who's going to be out for about two to four weeks now, right as Sammy Watkins returns, he's second in receiving yards and leading all receivers on the team in receiving grade for us so far this season. Simply way more important and valuable than he should be, you know, with all due respect. Yeah. And so getting Watkins back is a big deal. They've talked about maybe shutting down Christian Watson, their second rounder they traded up for who's had lingering hamstring issues maybe just putting him on the shelf and letting him get 100 healthy Watkins like you said you don't know if he's going to be a game breaker but at least is a you know a veteran receiver that can give you something did look pretty good in that Chicago Bears game um, and, and can obviously break off a big gain here and there from time to time yeah I'd heard positive things about Sammy Watkins and training camp even entering the season it seemed like him and Aaron Rodgers had developed a rapport over the summer, obviously, uh, he got injured. That kind of halted his process, his progress a little bit here, but good to get him back in the mix there. And for the Panthers, I really, yeah, I mean, I think that 
they're they're pretty much destined to have a top five pick in in next year's draft. Uh, currently, they're slated to pick number one overall, and um, you know you never no team wants to tank. Steve Wilkes certainly doesn't want to tank, uh, but not looking great for them. I do think that I mean if. Baker Mayfield continues to struggle. I, I don't think we really expect PJ Walker to start beyond, uh, you know, when these other guys get healthy, but we could see Sam Darnold in the mix here at some point. The unfortunate thing is that Matt Corral, if he didn't get that, I don't want to say it's a foot injury that is out for yeah. the season. He would get good runway to look. The offensive line is not atrocious. It's actually, you know, pretty solid rookie. Ike Aquanu is playing well at left tackle. Mm-hmm. They have a very, very good right side of the OL. And then, yeah, receivers beyond DJ Moore are pretty much non-existent, but you do have the safety valve of Christian McCaffrey to kind of help a young quarterback along. So it's such a wasted opportunity to where there's no reason he shouldn't start over all three of these guys when, you know, regardless of health for the rest of them. Um, but of course, you know, he is out for the year, which is just kind of a, a lost opportunity for them as, as a team. Yeah, it definitely is. It would have been nice to see Matt Corral, see what he could provide for that offense. But See so you PJ Walker, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. You've got Jacob Eason in the mix there as well. Uh, on Monday night, we saw the Broncos and the Chargers play each other. And for the Broncos, Melvin Gordon got benched, barely played in that game. And for the Chargers, J.C. Jackson really struggled as well against the Broncos. Now, on Sunday, uh, according to their head coaches, um, uh, uh, Melvin Gordon will be starting against the New York Jets and JC Jackson will be starting against the Seattle Seahawks. So, I mean, I guess if you've got Melvin Gordon on your fantasy team, uh, might want to put him back in there. Maybe if you have any better options or if you don't have any better options. And then with JC Jackson, I don't think the chargers really had a choice after what they paid him. I think that's more just about using him correctly in that defense. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating for both situations. First, with Melvin Gordon, I, I unfortunately, you know, I've, I'm a Dalvin Cook rosterer, so Melvin Gordon will be in my flex spot. I have zero faith go. that that's going to turn out well. But, you know, he had three carries for eight yards. I, I went back and watched the film to see if maybe he missed an assignment in pass protection right. and let Russell Wilson get hit or something. I didn't notice anything. It was a very strange situation. And you know, I thought it was funny Hackett said he's going to start. Well, he started that game, too. He just <laughs> right. didn't finish it. So. And then as for J.C. Jackson, so you mentioned, yes, they gave him obviously five-year, $82.5 million deal, the highest you know paid cornerback this offseason. But Michael Davis, who came in and replaced him, is making good money as well. I want to say signed to a three-year, $21 million deal, something like that. Last offseason has now kind of been relegated to the bench because Asante Samuel Jr. is probably the best cornerback on that roster, their second-round pick from last year. So kind of a bizarre situation. Brandon Staley, though, was really, really blunt in talking about J.C. Jackson in that game. He was asked first on the K.J. Hamler bomb, was he supposed to have help over the top, that is J.C. Jackson, from Derwin James? He said no. And then he said, what about the touchdown throw to Greg Dolchich, the tight end? Was he supposed to have help there? He said no. So it was like, I think it was not even necessarily concerned about his health. It was like he is not understanding his assignment. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. I think it'll light a fire under him. He'll probably be back and, 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 you know, looking to play well. But just a bizarre situation, not what you want to see, you know, six weeks into a massive deal for J.C. Jackson. It is strange how some of these Patriots cornerbacks leave and struggle at least to start off with a new team. We saw it with Malcolm Butler uh, when he went to the Tennessee Titans. He had a really tough stretch at the beginning there. He actually turned it around and became a pretty solid player for them. I think obviously that's what the Chargers are hoping will happen with J.C. Jackson as well. But, you know, the 
obviously JC Jackson's got Derwin James back there, one of the best safeties in the NFL. But I think that, you know, being in that Patriots system, everyone knowing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, having Devin McCourty, who's been in the league for, you know, 15 years, whatever it is at this point, it can be invaluable. And once you lose that, I think that you do kind of start to struggle a little bit. And obviously players have left that system and continue to do well. Stephon Gilmore, obviously, uh, Darrell Rivas. But those are also guys who had success before going to the Patriots and then continued it afterwards. So, I don't know, maybe it's a, it's a tough situation if you're signing an ex-Patriots cornerback who kind of came in with New England. You might not get the results that you want right away. Uh, let's talk about some NFL meetings drama. I will say, honestly, like as part of this job, one of the least interesting things to me is like, everything that swirls around about these NFL meetings. And I know it should interest me, but I care so much more about the product on the field. But there are two stories to talk about out of that. Uh, Colts owner Jim Ursay said he believes that there is merit to remove Daniel Snyder as Washington Commander's owner. Obviously, that would be massive news uh, if the NFL owners, the other NFL owners, voted to remove Dan Snyder from Washington. And then the other one was that there was a meeting about um, Roger Goodell's compensation as NFL commissioner. And Jerry Jones told Robert Kraft not to F with him. <laughs> I think the, that was coming from uh, Seth, Seth Wickersham of ESPN. I believe he said that uh, Robert Kraft said, what was that or something like that? And and then uh, Jerry Jones cleaned up his language a little bit and said, don't mess with me on this. But I don't know, uh, a lot of 80-year-old owners kind of fighting it out and and hammering some things out at these NFL owners meetings. I, I don't know. I mean, like, like I said, it's, it's probably the least interesting part of this job, but I, I guess the drama here is kind of fun. Yeah. You know, I do think it's very notable for an owner to go on record and say, they think yes. Daniel Snyder might need to sell the team. I'm sure a lot of them think that, but to, to actually have one come up and say that, I think it's also interesting. Jim say a guy that probably isn't going to get into a battle of the media or have things leaked about him. He's, he's dealt with some demons. He's been public and right. open about that and, and has been willing to kind of talk through those things and talk through how he's tried to get his life back on track. So kind of an interesting candidate if maybe he drew the short straw or if it was kind of a right. planned decision to say, look, I'm not afraid of Daniel Snyder because what's he going to say about me that I haven't already kind of addressed myself and, and had to deal with in the public light. So I right. found that interesting. As for the Jerry Jones one, I agree. It's kind of just, you know, truly first world problems. But I do think it's interesting that, look, Roger Goodell makes over $40 million a, a year, allegedly, as, as far as we know. I think I actually personally think he is a good business facing and you know owner or, excuse me, commissioner of a sports league. But I think it's also fair. And this goes for the owners as well, including Dan Snyder, mo most of all. It's a printing press. You can, you can do the worst right. job possible and just still make money hand over fist. So, you know, maybe Jerry has some merit to saying he's kind of wanting to tie his compensation more to hitting metrics and hitting financial measurables. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think the league has done a good job and has run fairly well. Um, but, you know, if you're paying a guy 40 million a year, I get why you want to question, you know, why he's making that much. I also will say, and I know that, you know, any Patriots fans watching this or any Saints fans watching this, any fans of certain teams, I think that there was a period of time there where Roger Goodell was not doing a good job as commissioner. I think that there was a lot of drama surrounding the league. I think there was a lot of bad stories out there. Obviously, those have continued. We had the whole Deshaun Watson situation. But I do feel like Roger Goodell has at least cleaned things up maybe over the last few years. Not saying that he deserves whatever it is, $40, $60 million a year, uh, whatever it is. And I do think that it probably makes sense to have those tied to certain metrics. But um, I do think that he's at least done a better job 
of being NFL commissioner um, over the last few years here. One final piece of news from Fresh Off the Wire. Uh, Dolphins head coach Mike McDaniel said that he is optimistic that Jalen Waddell will play this weekend. So uh, obviously that is positive news for the Miami Dolphins as they go up against the Pittsburgh Steelers on what should be a uh, you know enthralling Sunday night matchup. Be a barn burner, no question. I mean, no credit them. They just beat the Buccaneers, so we can't make fun True. of them too much. Um, yeah, a couple other Dolphins piece of news. Uh, Trey Flowers, their edge rusher, was starting to get worked into the rotation a little bit. Unfortunately, back on IR, has really just struggled with injuries the last couple of years. Uh, Waddle's a big addition. I mean, he did. He was my my one up, one down. He was my one down. Uh, on Monday because he did kind of lose the game for them. Um, yeah. But obviously, he's a dynamic player, top five in receiving yards right now. You know, could, could break off a touchdown at any moment in any single game. It'd be huge for them to get him back, you know, closer to 100%. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break here to hear from our sponsor, and that is Western and Southern Financial Group. PFF Wire is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. We focus on your roster moves. Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. We'll also say right now, if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to PFF Plus. Make sure to download the PFF app. All right. uh, Let's get into uh, this week or today's segment, Rumor Roundup. Uh, Let's start off with some trade candidates. Uh, I wrote about some trade candidates in my weekly uh, article rumor roundup. One of those is Cam Akers. I know that we've talked about the the Rams running back a few times already. Maybe kind of surprising that he actually hasn't been moved yet. But uh, I was talking to you know a, a source around the league who thought that the Rams could at least get you know a late round pick swap for Cam Akers. I thought the reasoning was kind of interesting. He still thought that Cam Akers is a talented player, but he also thought that running back is a position that you can kind of plug and play at this point of the, of the year. So, you know, if any teams are dealing with injuries at the position, you know, the Cardinals were dealing with injuries at running back for a while, uh, running backs can get easily banged up. Broncos, obviously, uh, dealing with the Javante Williams injury. It's a guy that you can pretty usually slot in pretty easily midway through the year. Yeah, and especially a guy like him, he's really an early down back. He does not bring much as a receiver. The Rams have made it very clear they're trying to move on from him. Um, and probably will. I think I wrote a little bit about this in a piece I did on on his trade mm-hmm. candidacy. It's going to be tough for the L.A. Rams last season traded two picks, a compensatory fourth and a sixth to get Sonny Michelle, who, you know, highly drafted player, similar situation, expiring contract for him. It was one year remaining for acres. It's one and a half seasons remaining. But I don't think the Rams are going to get that. And if they're anchored right. to that valuation, which I understand why they would be. Akers obviously did show flashes before that Achilles injury. Um, it's just they have no leverage now. He he has, like I said, there's 89 running backs that have at least 50 rushes going back to the beginning of last season. He is 89th in rushing grade and 89th in yards per carry. So it, it's going to be interesting. I'm sure they will just move on for a late round pick swap. But yeah, I think some teams, you mentioned Denver, um, you know, obviously Melvin Gordon, we said is supposed to start now, but they're clearly looking for more there. And he is kind of at this stage in his career, like they like to use him in the red zone as the third down back and in different kind of different packages. So I think a handful of teams will be interested there. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be a, a big time blockbuster by any means. Yeah, it's strange how quickly he's fallen out of favor there 
with the Rams since they were still using him pretty heavily only a few weeks ago. But um, obviously, I don't think that he was happy with the amount of workload he was getting, and they really weren't getting that much production out of him. He's only averaging three yards per carry this season, so probably best for a fresh start overall there. But once again, I'm surprised that the move hasn't already been made, and that tells me that they're probably not getting what they wanted out of a deal. Uh, lots of wide receiver you know, buzz around there right now. Uh, I know that ESPN's Jeremy Fowler wrote about this as well, but you know, Kendrick Bourne currently dealing with turf toe, but he's a player that teams have called about the Patriots, uh, you know, dating back to the summer because Patriots had a lot of depth at wide receiver. They continue to have some decent depth at wide receiver. And Kendrick Bourne has two years remaining on his contract or one and a half years at this point. And he's a cost-effective player. He's on a pretty team-friendly deal. So you can understand why teams would be interested in acquiring Kendrick Bourne, who had a really good year last year. But you can also understand why the Patriots wouldn't necessarily want to get rid of him, even if they're not really using him that much at this point. I do think that Kendrick Bourne would probably welcome a change of scenery. I don't think he would be opposed to a trade at this point. But I mean, Kendrick Bourne dealing with the turf toe. You've got Nelson Aguilar, who's been out with a hamstring injury. Uh, Jacoby Myers will be a free agent after the season. Nelson Aguilar will be a free agent after the season. So if you simply look at the wide receivers on the Patriots roster right now, who will be under contract next year, it's really only Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, and Tyquan Thornton. You wouldn't necessarily want to remove one of those guys from the mix. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, I, I wrote in this week's rumor roundup, probably the most likely or the most logical trade candidate for the Patriots because he makes a lot of money and he's not playing that much. He's also dealing with a hamstring injury though. And I kind of doubt that a team would want to take on his, whatever it is now, seven, $8 million contract uh, when he hasn't been that effective of a player over the last two years. I think a lot of these scenarios uh, where there's a guy making a decent sized salary, Robert Quinn, of course, was, yep. was a subject of conversations today. Those teams are going to have to eat that salary. Yep. And we saw it. Uh, last offseason or last season, excuse me, with Von Miller. There obviously have been other situations. It's kind of the most famous one now. And that does boost your trade compensation. So there's kind of a benefit to do that as well. But there's simply not a lot of contending teams with a lot of cap space and a lot of flexibility to create more. Right. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about Travis Kelsey and his contract getting restructured. Right. Now him going on his podcast and saying he thinks they're going to sign OBJ or whatever. But yeah, I think that's going to come down to are those teams willing to say, look, we're not playing this guy a ton like and Nelson Aguilar, and if we're going to pay this money regardless, would it make sense to just eat some of it, convert it to a bonus, and then at least that way we get a pick out of it. And the last right. thing you mentioned, though, is, is Bourne being under contract for a year and a half. It's a huge value for other teams, but also for the New England Patriots, like you said. Absolutely. And, you know, with, with teams that would have to eat, like for the Patriots, for instance, with Nelson Aguilar, I don't necessarily know what's going to happen there. I think that, you know, maybe a team gets desperate there. Uh, maybe the Patriots just need a roster spot at some point and something happens. But if they still feel like they're contenders and if they would rather have the depth of Nelson Aguilar rather than whatever would wind up being a six round pick or a pick swap or a late round pick, then, you know, if you're going to have to eat the money anyway to trade him, if you're a contender or if you at least believe that you can be, it probably makes sense to just keep him in a lot of situations, even if you have to pay a guy. $10 million or whatever it is to sit on your bench. And that's kind of a similar situation with you know, a guy like Isaiah Wynn with the Patriots as well. It's possible he could lose his starting job, but you also need depth at offensive tackle and you don't ideally want to pay $11 million for a backup, but you also don't want 
Marcus Cannon or Trent Brown getting injured, and then you're left without a backup at that position. So a lot of things that go into that. Uh, but uh, Odell Beckham Jr., who you just alluded to, definitely an interesting player right now who's not a trade candidate, but out there on the free agent market. I was talking to some people who still think that the Packers would be a logical place for him to go, but the Packers weren't willing to pay up last year. Uh, so I'm not sure what what's to say that they would be willing to do it this year, but it does seem like there's been a lot of buzz from Jeff Darlington and now more recently uh, from Aaron Wilson, the pro football network that Odell Beckham Jr. could wind up on the chiefs. Yeah. And the interesting thing there is there was a prior report that he wanted to sign a deal similar to Michael Gallup's. Um, I think more yeah. so about the the years. It's a five-year deal for about $11.5 million a year. I think that, frankly, is a bad deal for Odell Beckham Jr. from a value standpoint. But I think more what it's about is he's kind of been bouncing around a lot, been on different teams, hasn't loved the situation, wants a team to truly commit to him for an extended period of time where he can go plant roots, play with people he likes to play with, and try to you know contend and, and win Super Bowls. And so that's where I think Kansas City is interesting. I don't think they're going to give him a five-year deal, but – I think they would be open to not just the one-year rental flyer like the Rams gave, whereas with Green Bay, I mean, we don't even know if Aaron Rodgers is going to play next season. So I don't think they have much interest in in trading for him. I would say on that note, I mentioned Chase Claypool during the offseason as a guy I'd heard a a couple things about. He'd kind of fallen out of favor in Pittsburgh, or but probably more realistically, he was just viewed as the number three behind Deontay Mm -hmm. Johnson and George Pickens once they made that draft pick and once they extended Deontay Johnson. It sounds like that is still a possibility. He's obviously coming off the best game of his season. I reached back out to a couple of folks today. The one thing I did hear, though, was they probably want a day two pick. I mean, he is a good player. He still has a year and a half left on a rookie contract. And so is a team willing to give a second or a third round pick for him? I think that becomes the question. Um, probably, I'm not even going to speculate, but, but, but it's, yeah. it's a big asking price, no question. Yeah, because he hasn't been that productive over the last couple of years. I think I really like him as a player, his size, his speed combination. Uh, he's got a great upside. He's got a great skill set, uh, has been great in the NFL, but the production hasn't really been there. With Odell Beckham Jr., what was the deal that he signed last year with the Rams? It's basically a one-year deal for a round minimum with a bunch of incentives that he did earn you know, for making the playoffs and winning the Super Bowl and all that, but Borderline minimum deal. It sounds like now he wants an actual, you know, legitimate NFL contract with with base value and and a couple years on it, not just kind of a fluky, you know, one year with a bunch of upside. What's the incentive for a team to give him that at this point, though? I mean, if he just if he just signed basically what was a minimum deal last year and now he's coming off of a torn ACL. He's another guy who hasn't been that productive over the last few years. Like, I hope that he's able to get that. But like, do you actually see that being a possibility for him? It's a great question. So I would say one factor last year is they obviously knew he was still making money from Cleveland. So part of it was, hey, I'll take less because I'm still making money from the prior contract. And they kind of basically bought him out of his deal to get him out off the team. Um, No, it's fair. I mean, and and teams do pounce on that, where as soon as a player takes one of those kind of deals, it's very hard for a veteran to take a one-year cheap deal and then go back to making big money again. You don't really see it. But I think with with him, there is – a dearth right now of receivers that can separate against man coverage that can, that can truly win a one-on-one matchup on their own and Kansas city. That's kind of what they're struggling with is they can, they, they can scheme a lot of guys open, but can Juju Smith-Schuster can Marquez Valdez Scantling can rookie sky more do that? Not really. And, and, and Travis Kelsey can, you can only target him so many times. Um, I think there are a couple teams that fall in that boat. The Rams, you know, Allen Robinson does much better against zone than man. There's a lot of players like that. And Odell, at the end of the day, the guy can separate with the best of them in the NFL. 
absolutely. We'll we'll see what kind of deal he can wind up getting from whichever team he chooses to sign uh, with still recovering from that 20 seal. Did want to talk about the Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi situation a little bit. Um, I wind up writing about this maybe too often, but I actually have a lot of information about it. So that's why I wind up writing about it so much. It's been interesting to follow over the last week or so, though, because uh, Albert Breer and Mike Florio both kind of floated out that, you know, there's there's some tension with Mac Jones inside the organization. And then uh, Ben Volan of the Boston Globe took that a step farther on, I think it was Monday, saying that this whole Bailey Zappi situation was good for Mac Jones because it was going to get him humbled and because he's big headed. A lot of that I felt like was based off the Breer and Florio reports, but also kind of throwing in Ben Volan's opinion in that as well. And he kind of doubled down on it this morning saying that he had gotten a DM uh, saying that everyone in the building thinks that Mac Jones has an attitude issue. That DM was sent as a prank to Ben Volan. Uh, so I, <laughs> I think that he was kind of trying to justify the take that he had on TV with this DM. And I mean, I guess I, someone has come out and said that they pranked Ben Volan with this DM. It includes the verbiage that Ben Volan had used on the radio to describe the DM. Maybe he got a second DM from someone legitimate with the exact same verbiage. But I would say that I don't think this is a big deal. I don't think that there is like crazy drama within the Patriots organization about Mac Jones. I don't think he's got an attitude issue. I think that that was kind of made up. I do think that within the Patriots organization, there were players who were not that happy with the fact that Joe Judge and Matt Patricia took over for Josh McDaniels this offseason. I think it's certainly possible that one of those, you know, that that could be where this is coming from with Mike Florio, uh, with Albert Breer, that if they've heard that that's Mac Jones, then, then maybe it is. I haven't particularly heard that he had a specific issue with it. But I think it also comes back to Mac Jones came in this season. They brought in a new offense. They were taking a lot more chances. They were running a lot less play action, a lot less screens. They were making things more difficult on Mac Jones. He did kind of struggle a little bit. He still wound up with more, uh, you know, uh, big time throws and turnover worthy plays, but his interceptions were up. His mistakes were up. Then Bailey Zappi comes in. They scale everything back to basically what Mac Jones was doing last year with the Patriots. And I could see Mac Jones saying like, Hey, why weren't we doing that with me? Like what happened? Why, what happened to like the Josh McDaniels offense that you're now running with Bailey Zappi? So I think that might be where some of that stuff stems from. But once again, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, Mac Jones is between 85 and 90% recovered from that high ankle sprain. And it's essentially up to the Patriots, whether they want to put him back out there before he's 100% because a high ankle sprain is about a six week injury or, you know, whether they want to keep putting Bailey Zappi out there at this point. So we'll find out what they do on Monday night. Uh, I know that uh, Mac Jones is, is willing to play through that high ankle sprain, but ultimately it, it comes down to what the Patriots organization wants to do with Mac Jones. I think the last point is pretty key as well. Um, you know, there was a conversation of, did the team maybe want him to get that tightrope procedure, which apparently speeds the process along in recovering from a high ankle sprain? Um, and maybe did he not want to do that? He saw two attack of Iloa do it at Alabama when they were teammates. He came back for the national championship game, did not really look like himself and didn't, you know, it may have had lingering long-term negative effects. And so maybe he was dissuaded from following in those footsteps. And you've talked about on this show before how you know, Jimmy Garoppolo kind of lost in favor in the locker room because he could have played through an injury. Jacoby Brissett was willing to play through an injury and that kind of, you know, bought him some cred. So I think all of those factors together, but I, it does seem like it's a little bit overblown. I'm yeah. um, kind of saying he's selfish, needs to be humbled because he made the NFL's top 100 list. I think he was 95th 
um, you know, or, or made the he's, like, he's like the fifth alternative alternate in the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it was taken a little bit too far. Um, but yeah, I mean, all all the factors you mentioned are certainly fair and it's interesting. And I think at the end of the day, like you know, him being a you know, he was saying he's a guy who asks a lot of questions. Like, that's, isn't right. that what you drafted? Isn't that what you wanted yeah. out of Mac Jones? So it just kind of it, it kind of seemed a little fishy. Um, I think they'll get back on track. They'll figure it out. I always think they just love competition. They want yes. Mac Jones to play pissed off, play fired up, not be comfortable. Maybe he was comfortable, but I don't think he's been like too big headed. You know that he he thinks he's you're replacing Tom Brady. You don't think right. your your S doesn't stink if you're replacing Tom Brady in one good season. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that you really have to worry about Mac Jones getting complacent either. I've heard that he's a guy who's like in his playbook for 16 hours a day, barely sleeps, all those things that you want to hear about your quarterback. So, yeah, and just to sum it up, I think that, like I said, there was some questioning around the organization about what the decision makers were on offense. Once again, I'm not sure if that was Mac Jones or not, but that seems to be where some of those reports from Breer and Florio uh, seem to be stemming from. And then also, yeah, I think that Mac Jones would like uh, to to do some of the things that Bailey Zappi is doing in the offense right now. And I wrote that in the rumor roundup uh, with play action, with making things a little bit more simplified on offense. Um, all right, let's get into our last segment here. Best bets. We've got Another barn burner coming up on Thursday night. We've got the New Orleans Saints and the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals favored by two points. Point total is 44 and a half. Uh, let's do some context on this game. Saints, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Andrews Pete, Adam Troutman, and Marshawn Lattimore all out against the Cardinals. Uh, the Saints will not make a quarterback decision until game time, according to head coach Dennis Allen. They've had some other players who have been limited in injuries uh, with limit injuries. And for the Cardinals, Marquise Brown will be out about a month. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury said with his foot injury, that's obviously better than initial reports that he was out for the season, but still likely won't see Marquise Brown in this game. We will see DeAndre Hopkins. He's coming off of the suspension, but I mean, the Cardinals only being favored by two points at home against the Saints team. That's missing like half of their good players is pretty telling. It certainly is, especially with DeAndre Hopkins returning. And I, I know folks who say maybe he's rusty, but look, he's not been injured. He's been practicing and probably going pretty hard in practice for the last you know six weeks while he's been suspended. Robbie Anderson, I doubt, plays much. Maybe they throw him out there as a decoy to kind of just take some defensive attention away. But yeah, I think it's going to be an ugly one. I, I think the under 44 and a half, if I had to pick a side on that, um, just because the Saints defense is still legit. Cliff Kingsbury seems to have been figured out. They really cannot do anything. Um, it's so bizarre. They're leading the NFL right now in, in plays per drive, yet are 25th in actually scoring on those drives. So, like, they're sustaining drives. Right. But once it gets into opponent territory, they can't do anything. Um, turning the ball over on downs a lot. A couple turnovers for Kyler Murray in that game last week. Some A fumble and an interception, I want to say. So, yeah, I think it's going to be another ugly Thursday. Um, you mentioned best bets, though. You know, I know Mark Ingram has been limited, but I still think Taysom Hill under 32 and a half rushing yards. He is a threat to break off a big one here and there. He obviously had about 100, I think, um, you know, when he won the game for them a couple weeks ago. But if he doesn't break off a big gainer, I, I think under 40, 32 and a half rushing yards, I like a lot there. Arizona has a good interior. J.J. Watt has been playing, you know, kind of not J.J. Watt level, but he's a good player. Um, their linebackers and Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons are coming along a little bit, playing some better football now. Um, I, I like the under there for sure. Yeah, I, I'd say that, you know, given all the injuries with the Saints, uh, we've got a, a PFF grand line edge of 2.9% on the Cardinals uh, being favored by two points. So 
I think I might lean towards that, but I will say that like, if, if you look at our, you know, team rankings for both of these teams uh, right now, we've got the Cardinals 23rd in passing 24th in receiving fourth in rushing, which is, I guess, good 14th in pass blocking, but then 29th in run blocking 30th in pass rush 32nd in coverage. Uh, I think it's 25th in run defense. And the Saints rank higher in almost every single category, despite the fact that they've been without these players. They've been without their starting quarterback. They've had Andy Dalton at quarterback. So I do think that you might see some positive regression from the Cardinals at some point, because I actually do think that they're a pretty talented team. I think that Kyler Murray can be a good quarterback. You've got DeAndre Hopkins coming back. They've been pretty good uh, at running the ball. So I think that that's where I kind of, you know, side with, with, the green line on that one a little bit, but I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily very confident that the Cardinals will win this game uh, or win it by two points. But on the Saints side, like I said, uh, Dennis Allen said that the no quarterback decision will be made until game time. Andy Dalton hasn't been bad this season. Do you think that there's a consideration that they could just stick with Andy Dalton at some point this year? I think it's entirely possible. I I think he's been playing some pretty good football. I think he, probably lets you see what you have in your offense a little bit more, you know, get a guy like a Chris Olave who he's targeted a ton, 13 targets to him in the two games they played together. He was, I want to say a top 12 fantasy wide receiver in both of those weeks, scored a touchdown in both of those games. Yeah. Um, you know, young tight end, Adam Troutman, he's kind of been coming along a little bit. And I think more of a focal point when Andy Dalton, you know, James Winston was throwing the ball 12 yards downfield on average and really just not taking a lot of what was underneath. And I think they want to see some of that. Key Carmichael, their offensive coordinator, been there forever. You know, they've had the Drew Brees offense of, you know, just chunk yardage and, and get five or six yards, stay ahead of the sticks, all those things. Yeah, um, yeah it's uh, I think it's a, a very real consideration. Not like they paid Jameis a whole lot of money. He right. also has a bunch of incentives he could hit, which, again, I don't think they're going to not play him just because of that alone. But his injuries are legitimate. I mean, a back injury, coming off a torn ACL, all those things. Dalton might be the better answer. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a a true controversy right now between who to play. Yeah, Andy Dalton has an 82.3 overall PFF grade this season. Jameis, 65.3. And it's it's less extreme uh, than the the Mac Jones, Bailey Zappi situation. Uh, But Andy Dalton only throwing uh, 9.4 yards downfield on on average depth of target. Jameis Winston, 12 yards downfield on average. And Andy Dalton has a 3.4 big-time throw percentage, 3.2 turnover-worthy play rate. Uh, Jameis Winston, 5.7 big-time throw rate, 5.1 turnover-worthy play rate. So kind of depends on what you're looking at there or what you're looking for at quarterback, whether you want someone who's going to take more chances but also make some bigger throws or someone who's going to protect the ball a little bit better, which would be Andy Dalton right now. But I will say that, I don't know, I mean, the Saints were looking at other offensive coordinator candidates this offseason. I think there was a report even that Pete Carmichael, like, didn't want to take over for Sean Payton as the offensive play caller. He wound up getting the job anyway. So I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, this offseason, Saints are kind of back looking for someone to call plays for them. Yeah, probably wouldn't be surprising. Um, you know, like I said, he's been there forever. He, uh, he's been there as long as Peyton was there, I want to say, yeah. or maybe very close to it. So, you know, not necessarily Dennis Allen's choice per se. I'm sure Allen has connections around the league, obviously a former head coach. Maybe he wants to bring, you know, some young name. And they had so many guys. I mean, Joe Brady was there. Joe Lombardi was there. Obviously, those guys have jobs elsewhere. But um, I wouldn't be shocked by it. It's just, I mean, this team is totally in flux now. All these injuries, the aging team. This is kind of the risk you take when you you know, you know take their approach. And 
they could be two and five after this game and, you know, tough road ahead with some tough games. So I think I wouldn't be surprised by anything happening in New Orleans the next couple of years. Definitely not. Yeah, they could be looking for a quarterback, could be looking for an offensive coordinator, could at some point be looking for another head coach. Anything is on the table there. All right, I think that will do it for today's show. We will be back with you guys again on Friday talking about every single week seven matchup, all the fantasy implications in those games. We'll be taking around the news of the NFL uh, to kick off that show on Friday. So join us again on Friday around 4 p.m. Until then, make sure to subscribe to PFF, uh, PFF Plus, I should say, $79.99 a year. Make sure to download the PFF app. Make sure to subscribe to the PFF Wire podcast on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure to review, rate, do all those good things on whatever podcast app that you use. Uh, make sure to follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad. Follow me at Doug Kai. And as I said, we will be back with you guys again on Friday here on YouTube at 4 p.m.